0: This is Ann graham Lots. I can't think of any words more encouraging. Jesus is coming. And any moment we're going to hear that trumpet sound, I have no idea what that will be, but we will know. Welcome to this Sunday's edition of Living in the Light with Bible teacher Ann Graham-Lotz in the concluding message in her series from Joel today in chapters 2 and 3. Join with Ann in this message of encouragement and hope. Jesus said in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, talking about heaven. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again. Jesus said, I'm going to come again. I'm coming. The train is just around the bend. I'm coming to receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is coming. In Acts chapter one, at the ascension, when he went back up to heaven, the disciples were staring off. They they saw him go up into the clouds of glory. And two men in white came and stood beside them and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So I don't want you to misunderstand, and I've had people misunderstand this, but just get my thinking for a moment. The first coming of Jesus covered at least 33 years, right? And many different events. His birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. That's 33 years for the first coming. All right? The second coming, generally speaking, covers about seven years, maybe more but at least seven years. And it covers many different events. And I'm going to give you the events as I see them and we'll touch on the ones that Joel touches on, but the rapture of the church, which is not a biblical term, but just a time when believers are caught up in the air to be with the Lord and forever will be with the Lord. And then comes the seven years of tribulation. Not, we'll talk about that in a moment, but the seven years of tribulation divided by that three and a half year midpoint when all hell breaks loose. And then the end of that is the battle of Armageddon. And at the battle of Armageddon, that's when the sky unfolds and Jesus comes back physically, visibly to planet earth to destroy his enemies and rescue his people and set up his reign for the 1,000 year millennium. All right, so those are the main events of the second coming of Jesus. So, and we think of the second coming as when he comes to the Mount of Olives, but I'm just taking it generally and stretching it out a little bit and just saying that it encompasses, generally speaking, can encompass at least seven years. So let's go back to the first events, and uh, that's the rapture of the church, and Joel doesn't really touch on it unless you see that in the word afterward in verse 28, but I want to touch on it just for my own encouragement, okay? So if you can find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let me just read this to you, because we can't be dogmatic about when the rapture would take place, but I can be dogmatic that it will take place because the Bible is very clear that this day is coming and I believe it's at any moment. Okay, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, those who have died, or to grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again and we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So can I just make this personal? That's my husband. I believe that soon I'm going to see him again because Jesus is going to come back with him. According to the Lord's own word, he says. This isn't Paul's, he's not making it up. This is God's word. We tell you that we who are still alive, which would be me at this point, and are left till the coming of the Lord will not precede those like my husband who have already died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And my husband is going to rise first. In fact, do you remember, I think it was, I um, can't remember what day it was, when we gathered around my husband's grave, Marl and Jonathan and Rachel Ruth, and we prayed that the ground would physically open up when that day comes. We want people to know in that plot of ground was a man of God. So we're just asking the ground to break open as he rises to meet his Lord in the air. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, meaning my husband and Jesus in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. I can't think of any words more encouraging. Jesus is coming. And any moment, we're going to hear that trumpet sound. I have no idea what that will be, but we will know. And I'm going to look up and see Jesus, and if I can take my eyes off his face, I'm going to see my husband and my mother, and my mother-in-law, my I've got a whole little welcoming committee that's gathering up there now, and encourage each other with these words. And I believe the rapture is before that seven-year period of tribulation. I could be wrong. I'm not dogmatic, but I believe it. And this is one reason. In chapter 5 of First Thessalonians, it says, chapter 5, verse 4, You, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. Because we're watching, right? We're watching. We know the signs. We've seen the harbingers. It's not going to catch us by surprise. Verse 9 For God did not appoint you and me to suffer wrath, which is what the seven years of tribulation are, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're alive when he comes or if we've already died, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. What would be encouraging if I stood up here and told you that we're going to go through the tribulation, that we're going to experience the wrath of God on this earth. That's not encouraging at all. And Paul says, encourage each other because when that trumpet sounds, you're going to be taken up to be with Jesus and our troubles will be over. No more grief or sorrow or tears or pain or death or we're going to get out of here. And I believe that's the next event on God's calendar. I believe that will take place before the tribulation because the tribulation is God's wrath on this earth. And I've got other reasons also, but won't go into those now. So God will return for us at the rapture. And then the next event, I believe, will be the tribulation. And he just touches on it in Joel just very briefly, but I will tell you when I believe the tribulation begins, according to Daniel. And it begins with that signing of the peace treaty. So when Israel signs a peace treaty with her Arab neighbors and her enemies, and that peace treaty is brokered by a world leader. And I don't know what his name is, but the Bible describes him as a man of perdition, a man of lawlessness, he is the Antichrist, the Antichristo, the substitute for God. He presents himself as that, substitute for Jesus on this earth. And he brokers a deal, and so there's peace, peace, and everybody thinks the situation has been solved. When that peace treaty is signed, you can count from that day to the day Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives, seven years. All right, That's what triggers the tribulation. So I know we won't go through the last three and a half years of the tribulation, maybe the first three and a half, just I don't believe that. So that's what starts the seven years of tribulation. That starts the time clock, the signing of that peace treaty. So the tribulation will also be marked with signals from heaven because God doesn't sneak up and judge us by surprise, he warns us first, and one of the ways he warns us, he signals us from the heavens. And that's why, I just look now, we're not in the tribulation, but God has been signaling us, he's about to do something. I told you 2014 we had two total solar eclipses, two total lunar eclipses in 2014 and 15, they, they fell on the same Jewish feast days, interestingly enough. 2016, we had two total solar eclipses, three supermoons. I saw it when I went up to my cabin, it's spectacular. On August 27th, there was a very unusual rare conjunction of Jupiter and Venus. And there's a wonderful man who spends hours and hours studying the heavens and studying the stars. And he's written me pages and pages. I've watched hours and hours of DVDs. His name is Jim Dodge and he says that that was the Bethlehem star. He goes back to right before Jesus was born, and there was that same conjunction of Jupiter and Venus, and on August 27th, I wasn't where I could see it. I was up in the mountains, and I couldn't see it for the trees and the peaks, and, but I have a friend in California, and she had forgotten about it, but she said that she's a pastor's wife, and Vicki Bentley, her husband Ray, was preaching that Sunday night. And he was preaching on this, the the signs and the signals. And they walked out of church. And she said, right up there in the heavens was that conjunction. It was absolutely brilliant, breathtaking. And she remembered, that's what that is. It's a conjunction that tells us the king is coming. So September 9th, the Solar Dynamics Observatory, you can find this on NASA's website, witnessed a rare double eclipse. Very extremely rare. I don't think it's ever been photographed before where the earth and the moon pass in front of the sun at the same time. God is signaling us, and during the tribulation, He will signal also because that's what it says going back to Joel in uh, chapter 2, verse 30. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. That can also be a result of war. The sun will be turned to darkness, that's an eclipse. The moon turned to blood, that's an eclipse before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So there are going to be more signals from the heavens because the heavens declare the glory of God. And God will use everything he can have at his disposal, including in Revelations, he sends the angels through the heavens to declare the gospel to the world. So he signals us from the heavens during the tribulation period. But he not only signals us from the heavens, he stirs in our hearts. In verse 32, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, this is after, I believe, the rapture. So think of the church. Every believer is gone. All those who have received Christ by faith are out of here. So the world is completely devoid of any believer, any follower of Jesus. But think of the people that are left behind. And those of you who are grieved, you're not encouraged by these words because you have family members and you have friends and neighbors who have not placed their faith in Jesus. And you know if Jesus comes back, they're going to be left to go through that period of tribulation. And and that may be so. So I'm not going to try to soften that because there's some people that I know and friends that have told me family members who are still shaking their fist in God's face and just refusing to repent of sin, refusing to believe this and rejecting him. And, if that happens when the rapture takes place and they're left behind, listen to me, I wonder if all of a sudden the pieces will fall on place. They, oh my goodness, I remember what Anne said. I remember what so-and-so told me. Oh God, it's all true. And suddenly the scales fall off and they understand and they see and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is still in the saving business, okay? spiritually speaking, they can confess their sin, repent of their sin, turn to God, and he will save them. They haven't missed the opportunity for salvation in a spiritual sense. They may have to give their lives. In fact, Revelation says the the world will just flow with the blood of the martyrs. And there will be Christians who will be put to death, followers of Jesus that will be, as soon as they're discovered, as soon as they refuse to take the mark of the beast, they'll be slaughtered and persecuted, but they will be saved for eternity. I believe that so strongly that on my website, I've put my messages to those who are left behind. I do this every fall when we come up on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a Feast of Trumpets, and who knows, it just would fit the pattern of the feast days if Jesus would come back on the Feast of Trumpets. And it's interesting, the Feast of Trumpets, nobody knows the day or the hour of the Feast of Trumpets, so it goes over three days from October. And just in preparation, I put up on my website videos of me talking to the camera, what I would say to those who are left behind, to just let them know they can be saved. Let them know what's happening. Let them know that they can still know Jesus, find Jesus, be saved by Jesus, and then tell them how to grow in that. So I'm taking it seriously. So would you take it seriously? And God will stir their hearts. And there may be some of your family that's left behind that's God forbid that they wouldn't receive Jesus before the rapture, but after the rapture. So pray for them. When God first led me to write books, that was what he impressed on my heart from Hebrews 14. and I want you to write down the messages that I give you for those who will come behind, those who will inherit salvation, those who have yet to place their faith in Jesus. So all of my books are written with that in mind. They keep it so simple and so scripture, you know, that it's like a devotional commentary that somebody who's after the rapture can open one of my books and they can find the truth and it will be explained to them without having a Bible teacher or a preacher or a pastor or, because there won't be any then. So they'll just learn from what we leave behind. So tribulation is going to be a difficult period, but there'll be, I believe, a lot of people worldwide, the Revelation tells us that many people who put their faith in Jesus during that time and then pay the ultimate price for that decision. Then Joel does go into Armageddon. At the end of that seven year period, there will be a time of reckoning and a time of accountability. In verse 1, it says, At that time, and what is that time? At that time is the end of the end. It's when Jesus comes back and he's preparing to come back. It's the dreadful, terrible day of the Lord. This is the ultimate fulfillment of the day of the Lord. And it says in verse two, he says, I will gather them. So just make a note of that. God is gathering them and they don't have any idea that God is gathering them. So I don't know why they decide suddenly to go and gather in the area of Israel, but these are all the nations of the world. And the plain of Megiddo is large enough to hold millions of people. There are 200 million man army that comes from the east, the Euphrates dries up and they come that way and come down from the north, they come down I'm assuming from the west and from the south and they all converge and maybe they're going after the oil, maybe they're just coming once and for all to push Israel into the sea. Maybe it's an utter rebellion against the Antichrist, who at that three and a half year period breaks that treaty and sets himself up in Jerusalem as God and demands to be worshipped and pours out persecution on those who don't. And the whole world rebels against him and everything falls apart and it's just hell on earth. And maybe that's why they're coming and just utter rebellion against the Antichrist. But God is saying, that's what they think, I'm gathering them. And he gathers all the nations of the world. And Joel Rosenberg gave six reasons from this passage that God is gathering the nations of the world to judge them. Verse one: to judge them because they have scattered Israel and the Jewish people among the nations. Verse 2, he will judge them because they have divided up the land of Israel, which the Lord describes, notice, as my land. 3, for selling the Jewish people into slavery. In verse 3 and verse 5, also in verse three, for engaging in sex trafficking. In verse five, for stealing treasures from the Lord, and it indicates the temple has been rebuilt, so I don't know if they steal from that or maybe just the natural gas, the oil, the whatever they're stealing from Israel. And six, for murdering Jews and shedding Jewish blood in verses 19 and 21. And some of these atrocities, of course, have been committed through throughout history. But at this stage, it will be committed like it's on steroids. (laughs) And it will be incredible during the tribulation. And so God is holding the nations of the world accountable. And in verse nine, he says, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war. Rouse the warriors let all the fighting men draw near and attack. And look at this, this is the opposite of a millennium. Beat your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears, let the weakling say, I'm strong. And so he involves entire, in verse 11, come quickly. All you nations from every side, the entire world is gathered. Not every person living on planet earth, but you know what I mean. All the nations of the world represented by their armies, their leaders, their kings, their presidents, they all gather. And they think it's for whatever reason God is gathering them because once and for all he's going to judge them. He gathers them for judgment. In verse 12, let the nations be roused. Let them advance in the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's the Kidron Valley between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem. No way all those armies could fit there. So I'm assuming the leaders and the kings and the presidents, they gather in the valley while the armies spread out in the valley of Megiddo. And he gathers them in that valley of Jehoshaphat, which means God is the judge. (laughs) They're so blind, you know. They just have no idea that God is setting them up. And Isaiah 63 This is a passage God gave me recently, but it just describes the moment. In verse 1, Isaiah 63, who is this? So at the, let me just set it up. So they've all gathered against Jerusalem, and they've all gathered, I guess, against the Antichrist. They're going to make war with each other. So they've aimed their missiles, their guns, they've turned their battleships, they've got their nuclear weapons deployed, and everything is ready to just go after each other, Jesus said. If he didn't intervene, they would destroy the human race, they would blow up the planet. So all the weaponry, all the arsenals, all the weapons of mass destruction, all gathered there. And Isaiah 63 says, who is this? Robed in splendor, striding forth in the greatness of his strength. And Jesus responds, it is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. And so we ask, why are your garments red when the sky unfolds and he comes back and his garments are red like one treading from the winepress? And he says, I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. And their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year of my redemption has come. And he was appalled that no one gave him support, but he didn't need it. He's going to do this by himself. I trampled the nations in my anger and my wrath. I made them drunk and I poured their blood on the ground. That day is coming. He's coming to judge and destroy the guys who have rebelled against him, defied him, led the world in wickedness and rebellion. Consider what Joel Rosenberg said here last year, and he's given me permission to use this, but Joel said... Let the United Nations be warned. Let the United States be warned. Let the European Union be warned. Let the Arab League be warned. Let the Palestinian Authority be warned. Let Hamas be warned. Let the government of Israel be warned. And I would tuck in there, let the BDS, the Boycott Divestment Sanctions, let them be warned. And Joel goes on to say, it may look like a brilliant idea to divide the city of Jerusalem, to divide Judea and Samaria and take the West Bank away, To give away the Golan Heights as it seemed brilliant to give away the Gaza Strip in 2005. But let there be no mistake, the Word of God warns us in no uncertain terms that judgment is coming for all who divide Israel, who divide Jerusalem, who scatter and oppress and mistreat the Jewish people. For many, a Palestinian state seems wise, fair, and just, but willfully disobeying the word of God is never wise, never fair, never just, and it comes with consequences. So heads up, be warned. God is jealous for his land and he's jealous for his people and he will rise up and destroy Israel's enemies and rescue his people. He's coming to save them. And save us also. The return of Jesus. The Lord will roar from Zion. That's the line of Judah. Has risen up and he's roaring from Zion. Thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. But the Lord, look at the contrast, will be a refuge for his people. A stronghold for the people of Israel. He's coming back to save those who belong to him. Revelation 19. Hope you don't mind me turning. I just can't put it in better words than what God has already said. Revelation 19, verse 11. This is the apostle John speaking. This is his eyewitness account of this event. I saw heaven standing open. This is at the climax of Armageddon. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire because he is angry. And on his head are many crowns. Those are the crowns that have been usurped from him and all these heady kings and the antichrist who think they can rule as God in this world. He sees their crowns and they're on his head. He has a name written on him that no one knows. They've been blaspheming it, profaning it, filled with obscenities. Now they can't even know it, much less say it. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. That's you and me, all right? We've been in heaven. We're coming back with him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, the righteousness of the saints. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which is the word of God, remember? Double-edged with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a day that's going to be. I actually think that may be the most frightening passage of scripture in the Bible. Unless you belong to him. And the one who is the judge of all the earth is your savior. On that day, the line will be drawn. That will be the great and terrible day of the Lord. Day of reckoning, a day of accountability. There's no second chance after that day. Zechariah 14 verse 3 describes it. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east and west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half south. And we're going to see topographical changes and all sorts of things that happen that Zechariah and Revelation described. But over it all, through it all, around it all, underneath it all (laughs) is Jesus absolutely supreme in charge coming back for his people getting ready to set up his kingdom so Jesus is coming he's coming he's coming for us at the rapture the world is going to go through a period of tribulation experience the wrath of God on earth it's going to climax of the battle of Armageddon and then the sky is going to unfold at the peak when it looks like the armies are going to destroy everything and Jesus will come back and he'll destroy his enemies and rescue his people and then he will live with us forever. Plan to join us every week on Living in the Light as Ann Graham Lotz brings her insights and teaching from God's Word. And don't forget to take advantage of the many free resources at AnneGrahamLotz.org, including Anne's daily blog that makes a perfect devotional reading. Thank you for being with us today.